With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We get to talk some actual Cubs baseball. You know, you even whether you're a fan or just someone in the industry whose job it is to cover these games, you do the dance for as many months as it takes to get to the games that actually count. And I can say for me as a fan it's this level of eagerness and excitement to finally have real games and let those hopes rise and then you have a weekend like this that just kicks you right in the nuts and you're reminded that uh of two things one that this you know probably isn't a 100 win cubs team and then two you are reminded that 162 games takes a very long time to play out and a lot can happen in any three-game stretch that you could put undue weight upon it uh, if it were the only three games that you had to break down. So we will try not to fall into that trap uh, on this podcast. And then, you know, the next X number for which we could claim the sample is still very small. But I think that, uh, well, we'll, well, let's speak generally to start about that series. Because I think the one sort of overarching thing that stood out to me uh, regardless of, and this is not, it's not a small sample thing. It's not overreacting to any uh, bit of data. It's just sort of a general comment that I think this series showed us in a lot of really nice exemplary ways, the things that the Cubs will have to do very well in order to win and the things that the Cubs can't do poorly if they are going to not lose a lot. And so I thought it was, uh, at least in that way, even if unsatisfying to me as a fan to see the Cubs lose two of three to the Brewers. It was mildly satisfying to me as a uh, an evaluator of these things to be able to say, okay, well, you know, we, we got a vision, we got a view uh, to the things that we suspect about this team. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. I think uh, we definitely learned uh, or had some things confirmed for us, right? The the early early confirmation that uh, confirmation bias, I guess you could say, uh, since we already thought these things and we saw some of them uh, play out through three games. Can you be right in your confirmation bias? Does that <laughs> does that also count as confirmation bias when you're like, yes, I know I am biased for what I'm looking for, but it was confirmed, so I, it's like I'll have to talk to my my psych professor for that one. Well, I mean. It, there were some things there were some little things that kind of stood out to me right like they're not going to hit a lot of home runs that's that's likely the case right unless we have some surprises uh sir 
Sir Patrick Wisdom is on pace for 110 yeah. home runs right, this season. Right, right, okay. and I got some complaints about him already. That why is he? Why does Ross love this guy? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like they, <laughs> yeah, complaining about very, Wisdom. Very, very odd complaints about uh, uh, some of them. I understood, but I thought were a little too early. And just like you get, you guys haven't watched this guy, and you already hate him. Uh, it's very interesting how how Twitter reacts to certain lineup uh, decisions, but. Uh, the home runs were all solo home runs, right? And I think Wisdom's first home run was followed by two men reaching base, right? And we talk about, like, the sequencing of events. That type of stuff is going to be so huge for the Cubs. It's not as big for certain other teams, right? Like, the Cardinals are going to hit solo home runs and three-run home runs probably multiple times an inning, right? <laughs> that, that's how they are built. The Cubs need every opportunity to turn those few home runs that they hit into two, three run home runs, grand slams, right? It's going to, when they get men on base, that's when you want the home runs to come because they're just not, they're just not going to be a lot of them. So I felt like that kind of, obviously great wisdom hits two homers, but two solo homers on Sunday. Like that, that kind of changes how the game looks. If you can get a couple men on base with that, uh, the walks we saw from the bullpen, my guess is that doesn't last very long. Like, I don't think this team is going to be a high walk team uh, pitching-wise. Certainly not with the starting staff. Uh, but uh, one of two things will happen. That'll get corrected quickly, or those guys that are walking guys won't be in the bullpen very long. We'll, we'll be sent down or DFA'd or whatever needs to be, whatever needs to happen. I think Ross was pretty calm after Sunday's loss. Uh, and and had a good perspective of that that's going to get corrected type thing. I don't expect those walks to last, but if they do, he's not going to be calm. <laughs> he's not. He he's going to like these are some of the things that piss David Ross off, and and they happened. But he also understands it's game three, game two, whatever, whichever one you want to talk about. Uh, and he's not going to overreact just yet. He believes in some of these guys to kind of figure it out, and we can get into details about. Uh, I, I'm curious, uh, Brett, especially the fan reaction to his bullpen usage, uh, but we, we can dive into that in a moment. But I think those those are the two things, the bullpen and the offense are what I assume is what's bothering fans and what one I think lasts or we're going to have to see how it progresses as far as the offense goes. Bullpen for me, not zero concern, both how David Ross uses the bullpen and and the talent that they have there, I think it's going to be. I don't think it's something you need to worry about just yet, uh, for reasons we can kind of dive into. I thought this is just a classic weekend of great opening day performance. We wrap it all up in uh, podcasts the next day, then kind of a coin flip game. The Cubs lose, even though they got six scoreless innings again from Justin Steele, and then just you know a pretty sloppy loss yesterday. And I think. You kind of have to give the Brewers like credit. They're we always underestimate them. No, you no you you never have to give the Brewers credit. Just to just to be clear. Well, this Please happens continue. every year. It's like oh, the Brewers don't look that good, and then like they they have probably the two best starting pitchers in the division. Uh, they have probably the best manager in the division, if not in the entire game, and. You know, they make these kind of moves on the margins and they just they figure it out. And that to me coming out of this weekend is like I want to see the Cubs, whether or not they can figure it out. 
because I thought it was a little humorous of, oh, how great everything looks in spring training. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, relievers are throwing the ball to the backstop. Uh, things got a little sloppy there Sunday. And obviously that doesn't mean all these things uh, will continue, but it's kind of mind-blowing that the Cubs would get two just awesome starts and Dansby Swanson looks like an absolute star and the Cubs are in last place in their division. Yeah, um, that's all fair. And I think I want to, if I can, pause a bit on the bullpen stuff because I've got some thoughts on it. And I, I, I know that that's where so much of the conversation is in games where it's tight enough that the bullpen's performance matters. And if you happen to lose that game, therefore, whoever is in the game when it slips away is going to get a disproportionate amount of, of ire and the manager will. That's just, it's just always how it is because it's when, when the bullpen performs adequately as this bullpen has in the aggregate with the Cubs for 10 years running in every different incarnation, um, and with two different managers, it just, it has, but early in the season, we're going to see lots of warts, lots of hiccups, lots of moments where you're almost seeing the balance played out of how do I get the information I need to make decisions on reliever usage and who should be on this roster, who should be in what role, but not lose a game while getting that information. And I think we know, the three of us at least, and I think most fans who pay close enough attention know, that's what April and May look like a lot for a bullpen that is not um, cemented in, in terms of like where you've got six of eight guys or whatever who are longer term relievers. Relievers are always volatile, but you know some teams have more set in stone pieces in their bullpen, and this Cubs team does not. That's not a reflection of the talent. I think it's a very, very talented pool of relievers, including the crew at Iowa, which, by the way, the bullpen at Iowa was dominant in their three days opening. And not to say anybody's looking over their shoulders, but it was interesting to see. And also that Iowa lineup scored a shitload of runs with guys who were sent down. And anyway, put a pin in that because uh, that, too, is just three games. But what I wanted to say about the bullpen, and I'll take it two games, um, I'll take each of the weekend games to, to pair to my point, which is, you know, the Saturday game, it's lost with Javier Assad on the mound. And what do people say about that? They say, one, uh, why was he sent out there for a second inning? You know, he, he was great. One inning, you know, what take him off the mound. Well, first of all, you're only saying that because it didn't work out. Okay, he cruised through that first inning and looked he looked like the guy he looked like in spring and in the World Baseball Classic, who, by the way, was a multi-inning guy the entire time. So why wouldn't he go out for a second inning against the bottom lineup? That was just never a question. Second thing about him is if you really go back and look at that performance, he had one bad plate appearance out of the eight or so that that he had. And it was the walk to Garrett Mitchell, who was trying to sack bunt. Obviously, that I don't want to say it rattled him because I don't want to you know, psychoanalyze, but it, he, he missed the zone badly on all four pitches. And otherwise you're talking about one single given up to start the inning and then a routine ground ball that found a hole. That was it for him. And it, it creates a situation where, I mean, other than the walk, of course, it creates a situation where, because then two more runs score after he leaves on a bloop, that was a good Michael Fulmer pitch that who knows why Miles Mastroboni didn't, dive for that like 
Oh, I that that poor guy. I could see it playing out, and I'm shouting as it happens. Uh, my kids come running because as soon as that ball dunks down, I'm like, no! And uh, they wonder what happened. And you you just, you almost can see it where he had like just enough of a flinch, momentary flinch of like, should I, can I? And that's too much. Then you have to pull up. And anyway, that's that's what you get when you have two outfielders on the roster. Um, but that makes Assad's line look terrible. It makes you sort of retroactively think the performance was poor. And that's just not, it's just not the case. Okay. So that one I can kick easily. The Julian Merriweather one, the problem was the walks. He had two walks of the first three batters he faced. The five hits, I think one of them was solidly struck. I mean, the other four were just like, oh, Jesus, come on. It was bad luck that these are falling in. But that doesn't have an opportunity to happen if you don't walk the two guys early on and maybe you record a strikeout. And so I think his performance, you could a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, it's just dinks and dunks and it was bad luck. I don't see that one that way. I think he he needed to miss some bats and I think needed to stay in the strike zone early on. But it's one outing. And so, again, that's where you have to hope that the Cubs can do the work of very carefully evaluating these performances quickly, knowing that you're going to have to make decisions on guys in the bullpen long before you have a large enough sample to justify whatever that decision is. That is how it is every year in April and May in the bullpen for the way the Cubs do it. And we just have to hope they can do it correctly again, like they always do. And that doesn't mean that you punt Merriweather. It just means that you, the next few times, the reality is his performance is going to be regarded very closely. That's just the reality. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree on Assad going out for the second inning. I don't think... There's any like I I can't believe that there was debate or a suggestion like that. That's not his role. That is his role. That's exactly why he's on the team. That's this is not a discussion. This is not a thing that needs to be discussed further. He goes more than one inning. That's (laughs) that's why he's on the team. I'm pretty sure Cubs fans don't understand that Keegan Thompson's role is changing this year. Uh, You know what? That's a that's a good point that I because I heard a lot of that like. Well, Keegan's a one-inning guy now, and so why either either using that to say that's what Assad should be doing as well, or why didn't Keegan go multiple yeah. innings that game So or I, I was kind of surprised Ross gave such a detailed answer because before the second game of the season, I kind of asked him. I, I was just curious, like, what, what do you expect the role to be for Keegan? And, like, who's the, like is he the multi-inning guy? Is it Alzali? Is it Assad? Like, what, what, what's the thought process here? Are you still working on stretching him out? Ultimately, while that wasn't there wasn't like a direct answer, it does sound like they want Keegan to pitch more often and more games, which means he doesn't bounce back real well after going two, three innings, and they're trying to get him to go back-to-back games. So I think he's a one-inning guy now. I think he's going to end up in that seven, eight, nine-inning role. We'll see which role exactly ends up in, but that's where I think they're leaning right now. So... First, that that's first, right? Obviously, Assad is the multi-inning guy. Uh, I think, like, it, for me, once you walk that guy, you get a guy up in the bullpen, right? Once you walk, four-pitch walk, that's when you get the guy up in the bullpen. I don't know when he got the guy up in the bullpen, but that's probably about when he did, right? Couple couple pitches okay. later. I mean, it was, it was, it was really quick. It wasn't cause that was another criticism that he was getting. And it's like, no, he, he did get someone up yeah. pretty quickly. You get that. a seeing eye single and, and an out after that, the rest of that, like 
that was just a weird that that's a weird loss that's a weird inning the the criticism you brought up of having two outfielders absolutely but guess what miles masterboni has as much outfield experience as christopher morell christopher morell is not an outfielder either so all those people clamoring for christopher morell Christopher Morrell played outfield last year, and there's a reason the Cubs had the worst defensive center field rating in baseball, and Christopher Morrell was a big part of that. He's not a good defender. I know, like, people criticized Ian Happ. Man, Christopher Morrell <laughs> catching strays well, on this podcast. I mean, it, hitting, hitting, he, like, had four hits this he, weekend. He and just hasn't and great had play enough experience, and, and, like, that's that's just the reality of his situation. He, this is, he just got his first, like, real AAA action this weekend. He had, I, I think... He hasn't had much time at AAA, so I, I get it. the The call for Christopher Morrell, I, I part of me is like seize this moment. He's he's locked in. He's hot. You should have him up. Another part of me is like maybe he's just hot because he's facing AAA pitching and he needs to kind of just like mash there for a while because Miles Masterboni sure hits AAA pitching too. Go look at his AAA slash line from last year. So there's there's some you know things we need to consider. Remember that he's fa- he's in AAA, right? You you sh- he better be mashing AAA pitching otherwise then then there's going to be some concerns here, right? Uh and as far as Merriweather the walks are what stands out to me. I want to see more of him. I think that's the right spot to put him in. Yeah, it's a tight game, and you don't know what he is yet as far as how he can handle situations, but that's the sixth sixth inning of a one-run game, seven, eight, nine batters, if I'm remembering correctly. that You don't, like, you have to remember, managers think differently with a one-run lead versus a one-run deficit. You don't want to always use your best relievers. Now, he did use Alzali later. Not the best spot for Alzali to come in. Why, by I the think way? Is that just, I'm going to need to get him work? To. He and... just had to get him work. I don't think you can go, I mean, when was the last time he pitched? Uh, did he? Right, it was Yeah, like I don't even I think mean, he. In a game. I can't remember when he pitched, but it was, yeah, it's, it was about a week. You, you have to get a guy out there at some point because then you just don't know what happens on Monday. You don't know what happens on Tuesday. Granted, you know, like it, probably, you know, tonight there's going to be the perfect situation for him to come in and he's not going to be able to come in because he threw two innings yesterday, right? But uh, I'm just saying, I'm like, there's, there's a pocket of people that think David Ross doesn't know how to work a bullpen and... Listen, I have criticisms for David Ross. I don't know how good of a manager he is. I think he's one of the better managers when it comes to having a feel for his bullpen, understanding when to use guys, what situations matter, uh, when to bring in your best guys, when to bring in the bridge guy type thing. I think he has a really good pulse on that. And like these first few games, he's he's quicker than Madden, he's shown me, to figure things out. I... I think it's it's really hard when you have all these new pieces to know it on April or whatever, March 30th, whatever opening day was. Uh, it's really hard to know exactly how it's going to play out. Someone like Merriweather looked awesome in the spring and then all of a sudden walks two guys and, and looks a little shaky and then gets dinked and dunked, right? Uh, like dinked and dunked is part of baseball. If, if it happens for the Cubs, it, nobody's going to complain. So I'm not saying that was that, oh, man, that, that sucks. Like it, it happens, right? It's part of when you have like this, uh, when you're living on defense and, and not strikeouts, although Merriweather should strike guys out. Uh, and I do wonder, I think the Madrigal, like Madrigal almost caught one. And that after that, two more runs scored. I wonder like how different that game is with the way the Cubs uh, 
offense finally showed up late, but maybe the Brewers used different bullpen, whatever. Uh, so th- th- that's just my thoughts. I-, I-, I get a lot of the criticism. I think some of it you need to understand context, and especially with like the roster makeup. Like I just don't know who this outfielder is that they could have called up. Maybe Deluzio, but then you need to then you need to DFA someone else. Um, maybe Velasquez, but I mean he was sent down weeks ago. Like this wasn't even like he wasn't even close to making the team. I don't know. I just don't think like there's there's not like that wasn't an easy play, and I don't think it, it's as much about maybe it's more about how they approach the winter than anything else. But again, say Suzuki's hurt. He's supposed to be out there right now. And, um, you, you know, I, you have to plan for injuries, but also this isn't the season where you're like depth, depth, depth is everything, right? They, they just need to add players. Uh, and I think they did some of that, but I, I'm not sure if that's the criticism that they deserve right now. There's plenty of other things to, to get on them other than the fact that they don't have like this true right fielder backing up, uh, say a Suzuki right now. I think part of it too is like how the Cubs present themselves as this organization that has something figured out on the pitching side. And then like when it doesn't work at the beginning of the season, people are understandably going to be frustrated. Like maybe the magic wand for all these DFA guys, like isn't going to work this year and that their homegrown pitching pipeline is just like one inning guys who can't throw back to back. Now, obviously, Hayden Wisniewski will probably look awesome this week. I think Justin Steele looked awesome. It's only three games, but, like, that's kind of how the Cubs have presented themselves. And there's a lot of, you know, Mesa was six weeks of how amazing everything is awesome, you know? And then the Brewers show up and win a series, even though, uh, you know, Stroman and Steele totally shut them down. And so I am with you guys, too, though, of, like, it is going to be interesting, the the AAA Iowa question of, like, how long a leash will some of these players have and, like, you know, whether it's the coaching staff or the front office, like, how much runway will they give certain players and pitchers because there is depth there, and that's something that they're, they've been talking about, I don't know, since February, March, that if you looked at Iowa's roster, it's pretty firm and that there are guys, there isn't this huge separation between some of these guys. So if, I mean, we've all seen some of the stuff on Twitter, like with Hosmer, uh, you know, I have a tweet in my head and it'd be just stupid to like explain it now, but just like, oh, every time Mervis like hits a home run, like, you know, we have to look up Hosmer's stats and stuff like that. And I don't know, Madrigal, Morel, like that's going to be uh, an interesting one. And then, yeah, we'll see how much faith uh, David Ross and his coaches have in this bullpen. Like, we'll see when the shuttle from Iowa starts uh, running. And if there are more days like yesterday, I think it'll be ASAP. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Well, and I think <clears throat> it's going to be fair to have those conversations earlier and more quickly. And I mean among us outside folks, because the Cubs have so much roster flexibility. Like so many of these pitchers have options left. Uh, so many of the positional guys have options and or a guy like Eric Hosmer, who, you know, we all might want to do well, but it's they're not married to him. They don't have to be. So it's like <clears throat> they can pull the trigger very quickly on a lot of this stuff if they want to. And that isn't to say it's the right, decision necessarily because you know on the few guys with whom they don't have flexibility like a Julian Merriweather you know there's there's obviously talent there um but he's guy he's one of the few they can't option and so it's like okay well if you make that decision on him he might be gone um so I'm not necessarily going to be seeking the Cubs to act quickly but I do think I, I just think it's the reality that like, I'm going to be watching the Iowa Cubs closely here in the early going. Like I can't, you know, you can't help it when, when it's a roster that is loaded with big league adjacent guys, you know, they, they, it's not necessarily star prospects. They got a few high quality prospects there, but it's, it's a roster that's loaded with the guys who might be more serviceable in a, in a complimentary role in the big leagues than the guy the Cubs are currently using. And so I think, you know, that, you know what that ties to is something we talk about a lot, and that's um, organizations that do very well long-term. Um, we always focus on external additions, right? But it's the organizations that know their own players really, really well also do uh, well. I, I couldn't help but notice, uh, this is stupid because it's one game. It's so stupid. But Trace Thompson, who some Cubs fans may remember, the Cubs did have in the organization for a year, mostly at Iowa, and he was crushing the ball. And he came up in a very brief stint late in 21, I believe, and just obliterated the ball. It, it was it was a very small sample, and it wasn't about the results. It was the contact quality. I mean, he just had, he was just destroying the ball. And then the Cubs made a choice at the end of that year. They didn't hang on to him. They, hang on, they hung on to a couple other outfielders instead, who ultimately did not contribute meaningfully in 2022. Um... And Thompson went on to have a, a pretty useful year across a couple clubs last year. And then this, he's with the, the Dodgers kind of really grabbed on to him late in 22, I believe. And he had a three home run game this weekend. And, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, what if he was playing right field for the Cubs right now? And it's, it's hard not to do that dance, but it just makes you think about the fact that, you know, he got into the Dodgers organization and they did keep him for an offseason. The Cubs didn't. The Cubs didn't reserve that space for him for an offseason. And it, it's just a, maybe a small example of maybe the Dodgers knew what they had a little better than the Cubs knew what they had. And um, you can't, I don't know, you, you, the Dodgers don't even have to be great at that because they've got as much money as they need to bring in external additions if they had to, but they happen to also be very good at that. And you hope over these next two months with some of these decisions that we're talking about that the Cubs demonstrate a, a little little better ability at identifying their own talent best. Yeah. I, I mean, not to go over like old, old stuff that, that's going to enrage Cubs fans, but 
Trace Thompson. Open some wounds. Trace Thompson baby. and Harold Ramirez would have been a much better uh, duo of outfielders to keep than Michael Hermosillo and Rafael Ortega, right? Uh, not that I don't think Harold Ramirez See, I plays wasn't, that, that. I wasn't yeah. going to name. <laughs> I wasn't going to say out loud. <laughs> well, names. I mean, that's so just that's, that's just know, the reality. Direct, I do think. Direct it to I think Zahadi. the bigger uh, miss there, and it it sucks for the Cubs because they had zero time to evaluate him and had to make a quicker decision because of uh, I believe it was visa issues for Harold Ramirez, so they couldn't evaluate him. Uh, but. Hermosillo just didn't produce and like it wasn't a very good player for the team in general and and that that's that's the one that stings we're, we're going way way off topic here but that's there was by the way there was another outfielder they kept for 20 sure also, sure sure Jason did Hayward, not did yeah. not produce I can give a little grace yeah on that one, suppose, he would have caught that ball on Saturday Brett he would have caught that ball. He made a catch just like that. That was the other one I wasn't going to point out. But we're, we're talking about Jason Hayward, who was also with the Dodgers. And I don't think he's going to have – don't get me wrong. I do not think Jason Hayward is going to have this, like, monstrous bounce back to right. the Dodgers. You know, write, write me a letter if I'm wrong in a few yeah. months. But he did make – it was funny. He made, like, a sliding catch in right field that was – hauntingly <laughs> similar to the play that Master Boney did not make or did not right. attempt. Also, to uh, so speaking of fun. Hayward, it makes me think like, can we just slow our roll Twitter on Cody Bellinger and deciding that he's cooked and like analyzing his swing and telling me things that like, you know, uh, you know, amateur high school coaches see that that isn't real. Like, come on. Like he, he's fine right now. He's not, he has zero results. We, he doesn't it like he faced two of the best starting pitchers in baseball. I think six guys threw 120 innings last year and had a 30 strike, 30 percent strikeout rate last year, and two of them were Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he faced a couple tough lefties. Like I thought, he, I remember when uh, yesterday the, that double play ball, yeah, yeah. It was a rocket, right. by the way, and it just happened to be right at the second baseman. So, it's and like, there was another on. one yesterday against who's their side? Hobie Milner, Co- Hobie Milner. I he came up there. I saw him warming up. I'm like, no way! Like Bell- Bellinger is. This is three pitches. Like Bellinger is not going to be able to hit this guy. Like no lefty is going to look good unless they're like pretty elite. And he put up a really good at bat. And like nobody's going to care about that because it was a, just like a hard hit ground out, right? I think it was like a one hopper. So, I mean. Let's give him more than a weekend. People are so ready to just be like, this guy stinks. Well, that's a failed experiment. I know it's the extremes of Twitter and I shouldn't be reacting to it, but I, I just have to say that. I, In general, uh, my like more on the bullpen, I, I'm curious to see how they do handle it and how quickly guys move because who's the guy you send down? Because Rucker looked really good yesterday. I know he, like that one walk he had was BS. It was like a... There, it was just like a poorly umped uh, walk, like call, like that. That was not, that was not a walk, right? His stuff moves really well. I'm starting to, uh, like, get a little frustrated with, uh, with Cubs fans' reaction to him for some reason. Like, they just really don't like <laughs> Michael Rucker, and he's pretty good. I think he may, I think he may be a decent piece of this bullpen. But ultimately, I think it, it may come like I'm curious to see how they how they move things around, because Cam Sanders and Jeremiah Estrada are both both guys that you want to keep an eye on at triple A. Uh, only one of them's on the 40 man. But then, like, how do you move things around? Is it, it like Brandon Hughes is eventually going to come back? Right. Uh, so I, I'm just curious. There are two guys that don't have options in Lighter and Merriweather. Lighter doesn't have options, right? He's out of options. Uh uh, so those are two guys 
that I just want to keep an eye on. I thought Leiter did well back-to-backs. Um, I think, again, I'll emphasize, I think the bullpen's going to be fine. It's it's the offense that I want to see how it develops. Trey Mancini, I had a chat with him uh, the other day. He's he's fighting it. He was feeling good at the start of spring, end of spring. He felt off mechanically. He's searching for that, and, and he... Uh, He's searching for his mechanics. It's nice that he got a hit, I think, in the opener uh, that kind of can get that off his plate. But I I think I'd like to see him kind of lock in, and that can change the way the offense looks. And just generally, I mean, they're in Cincinnati these next three games. Let's see what they can do. Like, Ian Happ could go off, right? This is where he goes off. He, he Patrick brought that up to me yesterday. Like, Ian Happ's going to Cincinnati? Okay, we're, we may see a big, big series from him. Uh I, I want to see the offense kind of give me a little bit more. You know what? I, I don't think they've been striking out a lot, and they faced a, some strikeout arms. I think that's a good sign. Uh, we said the same thing after the first series last year, so let's not get too – in a more positive sense. Uh, we were we were looking at this offense after a 2-1 and one weekend where they looked really good against three starting uh, great starting pitchers in Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. So, you know, 1-2, and 2-1, two, two and one, offense stinks, offense mediocre, whatever it is. Uh, I think we just were, – we're getting some information that we felt was already going to happen, but I, I want to see, like – can these guys, can they raise that that floor that we were talking about? Are these major league players that they finally have in Mancini, Bellinger, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nick Madrigal looks really rough at the plate. It, like, I haven't seen a hard hit ball in, in months from that guy. Uh, so, so there's just like, you know, things I'm like, what, what are we doing here? And what, what what's going to happen with some of these players? Because... Uh, you want to see them compete, and and there's going to they're going to need some of these guys to kind of find their rhythm at the plate. Well, since you guys are always so doom and gloom, I am going to uh, turn to a positive. <laughs> in that, uh, Dansby Swanson reminded me of something that I know Sahadev had heard about Nico Horner coming out of Stanford. Just this idea that the more you watch him play, the more you appreciate what he does. That it's not necessarily like one quick look um and to me Dansby Swanson more than uh past the eye test I think it's just we talked about it last week of the David Ross said as well just like the balls hit to him or Nico it's just like oh yeah that's an out or that's two outs like there's no like kind of holding your breath or like you know kind of squinting it's just like it's hit to them they make the play they make the play just over and over again and you know, I remember talking to a Cubs person last year who kind of said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we went after Dansby Swanson just because he's kind of this like analytics darling and that, you know, looking at the exit velocity and stuff like that. But he is every bit that like player you appreciate watching. And whether it was that throw from like the grass when he was like sitting down or just the the big double play in game one um ross mentioned that professional at bat in that whatever four run third inning um just i think a lot to like there and definitely something for the cubs to uh build upon so a uh, quick thing on on swanson william Contreras has to be thrilled to not 
not have to see Swanson again this week because uh, Swanson stole two hits from him, both at like 107 miles per hour. William Contreras isn't slow. Uh, like I, I, someone commented because I said I know he's not the fastest, but that was my way of like trying to say he's not like this plodding catcher. He's like an average runner, like for uh, not just for catchers, for all players. So uh, that was a great play that he snagged like a one hundred six point five mph uh, one hopper and and threw it off his ass and <laughs> and and got it there. I know it bounced a bunch, but I mean that that's a great play. The reason it was close, the reason he was able to get it there is cuz it was so hit so hard, not because William Contreras is this slow catcher. It just I mean Patrick is 100% right. I don't think I appreciated Dansby Swanson, but 3 games in, I get it. Like this guy's an elite glove and it, it's really fun to watch. And it, it, it's, um, I think, uh, sometimes it, it's kind of like similar to what we saw in right field with master Boney. You don't appreciate what you have uh, sometimes until it's gone. When, when, uh, when Javi wasn't playing second base and it was Daniel Murphy, you're like, Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's the difference. That's a bad defender. And this is a great defender. Um, not that Nico isn't a great defender, but when Dansby Swanson, I think is like just a, a slight tick above and then you put Nico at second and it's just, it's been nice to watch. Even the play that Nico didn't make, I think it was yesterday with the Bryce Terang running. That was an awesome play. Like just, I, I don't think I, I didn't know how fast Bryce Terang was until I watched him, but that's, that was all on Bryce Terang's speed. Uh, just just I think it's going to be fun to watch this middle infield. Uh, other one one more thing on the defense. Cody Bellinger looks legit in center field. I think I also forgot. I don't think when have we watched a really good center fielder in a while? I think Albert Elmora was a little bit overhyped as far as what he could do out there and what he turned out to be uh defensively. Uh Dexter Fowler was just an average center fielder. Some metrics had him below. Uh obviously the past couple of years not much in center field defensively. So it's been a while. It's been a while since we've seen that, and it's just three games in. I'm like, every single ball, I'm like, even the double that uh, Yelich hit off off uh, Rucker, I started to wonder, I'm like, is he going to get there for that? He didn't, and he, but he made a great snag off the wall uh, to keep it and almost made a play at second. So he's, he's a good defender. That's It's nice to see this. A lot of good defense, and uh, for fans that are wondering, I did ask Jan Gomes about some of the past balls. He's trying to he, – he admitted it, he wasn't happy about it. He's like, I know I should make those uh, – I, I should make all those. And and he was trying to – with the Stroman game, they were getting so many calls that he was just trying to get extras. And he's like, that was a little bit of me overthinking the framing and trying to get some extra strikes. Uh, he's like, I, I know what I need to do and I know what I need to work on. It's not – he's like, I'm not concerned. There's not an issue there. It was just a – getting a little over eager with trying to steal some strikes when, when he knew they were getting a ton of calls. So he thought, let's, let's really ride this. And it didn't work out as hoped with the, with the pass ball. So I don't think that's a lingering issue. I think you have some elite catching as well. So it's, it's been fun. That's that I would say is like what stood out to me over the weekend. Just like, yeah, this, this is going to be one of those seasons where as long as these guys stay healthy, we're going to have some fun watching the defense. And Gomes came about a foot or two away from a grand slam and really transforming yesterday's game too. Um, so yeah, I think that's a nice place to leave it. Cause I think <clears throat> I appreciate you guys actually highlighting some of the things that, that 
tracked in a positive way with what we might expect or hope to see, if only because if those things hadn't been true, certainly they would be, uh, there'd be a spotlight. You know, if Dansby Swanson had started out 0 for 15 with seven strikeouts, like that would be the only thing you could hear. $177 million shortstop struggles in Cubs debut. Um, I won't say who might write that headline, but I, I could see it. Uh, so we we will leave it there. And with the hopes that as the Cubs head to Cincinnati uh, this week, they could, uh, you know, string together some wins because I will not advise Cubs fans to look ahead on the schedule and start doing the mental calculus on easy or difficult wins in the first half, which we have mentioned is disproportionately important to this team because it is not a pretty looking stretch ahead. So the Cubs need to bank some of these wins that they can if they want to try to stay afloat before July. Uh, this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. We should be back for you on Thursday of this week after that Red Series. And we look forward to talking to you again. Take care, folks. Take care, folks.